0: Welcome to the VA HSR&D Investigator Insights podcast series. Welcome to Investigator Insights. I'm Maria Hecht. I'm a research content editor with the Center for Information Dissemination and Education Resources, which is an HSR&D-funded resource center. And I'm here today with Brian DeBeer, who is a research psychologist with the Eastern Colorado Healthcare System. And we're going to be talking about brands work on mental health, suicide prevention, and the ramifications of the COVID-19 guidelines for lockdowns, social isolation, and and their impact on veterans.
1: Thank you so much, Maria. It is wonderful to be with you um, speaking about this really important um, topic, and I'm really excited to share my research. Um, I am a clinical research psychologist at the VA Rocky Mountain MIREC um, at the Eastern Colorado VA Healthcare System. I also direct the VA Patient Safety Center of Inquiry Suicide Prevention Collaborative and I'm a visiting associate professor at University of Colorado and my research focuses on suicide prevention and I also examine risk factors such as adverse social connectedness and then my other work also focuses on leveraging implementation science to improve suicide prevention services.
0: Brian, how did you come to HSR&D and you know, yes. kind of what is it about the work that you enjoy and, you know, what keeps you here?
1: You know, I'm very fortunate um, to receive funding from um, HSR&D and a lot of my work um, fits with uh, the mission of um, HSR&D. And so, um, you know, it, it seemed like a good fit f- between my work and um, HSR&D. So that's how I came to be here. Um, and how I came to the VA was that I have many friends and family members who are veterans. Um, And so it's really important to me that they receive um, high standards of care. Um, Unfortunately, one of my friends was um, killed um, while he was in Iraq um, serving in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And I really knew that um, my skills of being a researcher and being a psychologist could be of use to the VA. And so I very intentionally came to the VA to study topics like suicide prevention and post-traumatic stress disorder in order to be able to make my own um, contribution. And, you know, I think I I stay in the VA um, because there are a lot of um, great things. You know, I love doing this work. I think this work is very important um, and it's very exciting to me. Um, Sometimes people say to me, you know, suicide prevention must be depressing and it's not depressing to me at all. It's actually very exciting. Um, because we have a huge opportunity to save lives. You know, I don't have to be a surgeon to save someone's life. I can do it through um, my work, and that excites me a lot. Um, I also really um, enjoy working with my team, and I really enjoy my coworkers um, at the MIREC. Um, It's a really great place to be, um, and so I really enjoy um, working there. And I also, you know, of course, love working with the veterans. Um, I really enjoy my clinical work. And um, you know, getting to know veterans and getting to know their opinions on uh, various topics related to mental health and suicide prevention.
0: Based on your own personal background, really do have a very deep-seated sense of mission, and I think that that is one thing that is a commonality among so many folks who are investigators in the field. Is is that they are there for a personal reason? So my first sort of re- question regarding your work is. Um, You know, when the coronavirus pandemic occurred, you know, what was your first main concern about the population that you work with and that, you know, overall that VA serves? You know,
1: being focused on suicide prevention, I I think a lot about um, how we're losing people to suicide. And when the pandemic occurred, um, you know, I became concerned that we would lose more veterans both to COVID and to suicide death Um, because the pandemic creates this. really challenging environment where we have um, an increase in stressors, increases in things like unemployment, financial Mm -hmm. difficulties, food insecurity, transportation issues. Um, And we know that those stressors can increase um, suicide deaths. um, And that's coupled with um, these um, public health measures. So we know that public health mitigation strategies are important to reduce the spread of COVID-19 Um, However, social distancing um, also can potentially reduce, um, you know, people engaging in um, coping mechanisms like, you know, going out and engaging in group activities like going to a concert or uh, group exercise. A lot of people do those things in order to cope. So we have this um, combination of increasing uh, risk factors while decreasing coping strategies. So if you talk to me as a psychologist, I'm I'm going to tell you that's not not our optimal situation. The other thing is that when you look back at prior pandemics and epidemics, most of the research that's been done, although not all of the research, indicates that suicide deaths follow the infectious disease mortality. So we would expect that going into a recovery period, we would actually see increases in suicide deaths versus during the pandemic um, and that is what we're seeing in little bits of data that are coming out. Unfortunately, our national data takes a while um, to be processed and so we don't have access to all of that yet. But in the data that I've seen, um, suicide deaths did go down during the pandemic. Um, and so there is, an, to me, uh, a possibility that they could rise as we move into the recovery phase. Um, and when you look at other countries like Japan, Japan didn't have as, um, were not as bad off in terms of COVID-19 deaths, um, but now they've had more suicide deaths than COVID-19 deaths because they moved into a recovery phase earlier on, um, and we still don't really understand precisely what the mechanisms for that are. But one of the mechanisms in the prior research that was posited was adverse social connectedness.
0: Wow, that's really interesting to see that there is a historical precedent for suicide deaths in a recovery phase uh, from a pandemic. Is it a a post-traumatic result? Is it a post-traumatic effect in place? We've hunkered down and gotten through this very traumatic period, and now that quote-unquote normalcy returns, uh, is this the response? My next question is, when you looked at the impact over time of the COVID-19 safety measures Um, and mental health, you used a social network analysis. If you can talk a little bit about what is social network analysis?
1: So I've been fortunate to partner with um, a group called Visible Network Labs, which is headed by Dr. Danielle Varda, and they specialize in social network analysis. And they've typically applied this method to other populations, not to veterans who are at risk for suicide or veterans who experience mental health issues. And so we took their methods that they've used in the past and applied them to this project. So um, in a social network analysis, what we are looking at is we're trying to understand who is in the veteran social network, so how many people do they have in their network. Mm-hmm. And then we want to understand how all of those people work together to coordinate the veteran's care. You know, do, are those people um, working in tandem or not? and then we also want to know how much the veteran depends on those people to to help them with their needs and we want to know if a veteran trusts the people in their network so if a veteran is experiencing high dependency and low trust that's conceptualized as um you know what we call adverse social connectedness okay and then another factor is whether they perceive um, that, they're, that they have a social support network around them. You know, when we ask them um, if they feel that others are supporting them, do they say yes to that or do they say no? So um, the social network analysis accounts for all of those factors. Um, and so for me as a researcher, you know, in the past, um, I've used perceived social support um, in some of my work to try to understand um, that factor. The social network analysis, in comparison to that, does a much more in depth analysis regarding what the veteran's experiencing within their social network. And how that's helpful to us is that, in comparison to perceived social support, we can look at these underlying factors and try to understand what exactly is it, are the reasons why a veteran is. Um, having challenges with their um, support and if there are ways that we can remedy that. So the social network analysis goes much more in depth. It provides us with a lot more information and then we can use that information to try to intervene
0: with the veteran. That's really helpful. I had not come across that term before, so I thought if I haven't come across it, I'm probably not alone. (laughs) Another concept that I'd love to have you elaborate on is hostile attributional bias. What is it and why is it important to with regard to assessing somebody's state of mind?
1: Um, so hostile attributional bias is um, a social cognitive construct. So social cognition refers to the skills that underlie social interaction. Okay. And there's been a lot of work done on this, particularly in schizophrenia, um, you know, demonstrating that when people have a, trouble with social cognition, that really affects their functioning and their ability to interact with other people. Um, However, I also think that, um, that those constructs also have applicability to depression, PTSD, also possibly beyond mental health disorders. So, you know, if somebody has problems with the skills that underlie social interaction, they're going to have problems interacting with other people. And that actually has much more of an impact on their life than we tend to think about. So if you have trouble interacting with others, it's going to be trouble, you're going to have trouble finding employment, Mm -hmm. having social relationships. There are a lot of things that that affects. Hostile attributional bias is a specific form of social cognition. And in this project, we specifically looked at blame related to hostile attributional bias. And what this means is that when you present someone with an ambiguous social situation where they could be at fault or another person could be at fault, you know, who do they say is at fault in that situation? Mm -hmm. So um, what we saw in in this research is that um, for some people who tended to blame others in these ambiguous social situations, they had more problems with their social network. They had higher adverse social connectedness. Um, And another reason why it's important to look at something like social cognition is we refer to that as something that's called a modifiable treatment factor. Mm-hmm. So this is something that we can change through treatment. Okay. So we're not necessarily going to be able to um, maybe change someone's um, certain aspects of some, someone's social network. You know, there's there, there are some things in there that we could change and some things in there that we can't change. But if we look at these modifiable treatment factors, we can change those in order to change the social network and the other things that that
0: impacts. In other words, there's a sort of a core personality, but within that core, there are certain immutable factors. Yet the ones that are immutable that you can change, you can work on that through something like a cognitive behavioral therapy. It's those modifiable factors that in treatment you can address. Is there the sense um, that... Those modifiable factors may help widen or deepen a social network. In other words, if you're not, if you're more approachable, you may be more considered more friendly and therefore able to build a better or different or, or uh, richer network.
1: There has been work developing these social cognitive interventions, again, primarily within individuals with schizophrenia. And so these are very specific types of. Um, interventions that are okay. more specific than cognitive behavioral therapy. So presenting people with different social situations and, you know, having them role play the social situations and, um, the, the treatments are much more focused on social interactions than okay. cognitive behavioral therapy tends to be. Um, and so I would, I would love to be able to, um, you know, um, have people do this type of an intervention and see if it improves their social network. But I don't think that anyone's ever done that. The work is primarily looked at um, improvements in functioning, and, and there have been improvements in functioning with uh, those types of interventions.
0: Really, what struck you the most about this work? Uh, the, you know, your findings, you've come, you've finished the study, and you know, you're working on your papers and publications. So was there any result from this work? And this was a rapid project. I mean, oftentimes projects that are funded with HSR&D have, you know, two to five years of funding and you, you turned this one around quite quickly. So was there anything that really struck you in the results of the work?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes. We're trying to do this as quickly as possible because we think this information is going to be very important as we move into the recovery phase of the pandemic. And as we talked about before, I am really concerned about our veterans, and I want us to be getting this information out as quickly as possible. Some of the things that struck me were, um, you know, this finding of hostile attributional bias. So um, hostile attributional bias increases or, or is associated with adverse social connectedness. And it's also associated with PTSD and depressive symptoms as well. And then... Adverse social connectedness is also increasing PTSD and depressive symptoms. And then PTSD and depressive symptoms are increasing thoughts of suicide. So during the pandemic, um, adverse social connectedness got worse. So people became more dependent upon others in their network. And so we see that impacting their mental health um, symptoms and their suicide risk. So... You know, I think that it is really important um, that we continue talking about this issue of connectedness as um, a risk factor. If people don't have a strong social support network around them, it is driving up their mental health symptoms and it is increasing their suicide risk. And, um, and we can see how um, that changed during the pandemic. You know, dependency within the network was increased. And so people became more dependent on others so um and then if you think about hostile attributional bias in that association um people who have um you know who tend to blame others in social situations it's worse for them they're having worse social connectedness Mm -hmm. increases in mental health symptoms and are at higher risk for suicide and so then you know, coming back to what we were talking about before, social cognitive interventions may assist them and um, may improve um, their social connectedness, and then have downstream effects on PTSD and depressive symptoms and suicide risk. So that was, um, you know, one of the main findings from our study, and I think that that's really important um, to think about as we move into the pandemic recovery. Another important finding from this work is that um, that most veterans did not have people in their network to help them with their needs most veterans didn't have people in their network to help them with needs like healthcare needs getting access to health care getting access to behavioral health care getting access to food or transportation um and so that was surprising to us because We also saw that needs increased during the pandemic.
0: Was your cohort a primarily rural cohort? And did that have any kind of an effect on the given that most rural veterans have access issues to begin with? um, And one would think if you're rural dwelling that transportation might already be a challenge. I'm just curious about the nature of the cohort or uh, if you had any sense of that or if that was not something you were accounting for in, in the results of the work.
1: That's a great question. So how we recruited was we oversampled for veterans who had a diagnosis of PTSD or depression or other common mental health diagnosis among veterans. We also were fortunate that that VA Office of Research and Development created a database of veterans who've been diagnosed with COVID-19. So we also oversampled for veterans who had COVID-19, and we had about, I believe, about 66% of our population had had a diagnosis of COVID-19. And... um, we did a nationwide sample, so we sent mailings to veterans asking them to participate in the survey, and so it was nationwide. Um, and we haven't looked at rurality yet, but that is actually a very good question. Um, but we could look at that by um, looking at people's zip codes and um, trying to see where they um, are located. We could hmm. we could do that and see if that was a if it was worse for veterans in rural areas. Certainly. So another finding that we had was that when we looked at the social network, people who had adverse social connectedness, who also did not have people coordinating care for them, they had um, increased suicide risk. And it seems that in veterans who aren't getting their needs met, that's also increasing their risk. And something that was important on that level too is that um, VA, um, was actually uh, named as an organization uh, that many veterans relied on. You know, maybe for veterans who don't have people in their network to help them, maybe the VA can step in and, and be a source of support.
0: If you, in an ideal world, could say, "I want X policy or Y," um, you know, clinical service. Uh, to to change as a result of my work, what in an ideal world would you have happen with these results? How would you have these results leveraged to improve veterans' lives and or policy in VA?
1: Absolutely. So this work continues to build the evidence base around social connectedness. We know that social connectedness is important, but this work really drills down on what aspects of social connectedness are driving suicide risk and and increasing mental health symptoms in veterans Um, and so connectedness continues to be an important strategy and we need to continue to work on novel ways of promoting connectedness for veteran suicide prevention, because we don't have that many strategies that focus on connectedness, you know, I, I think this finding that veterans don't have individuals in their network who can assist them with needs is very important, as we discussed. Um, and it did seem like for many veterans, being was really important in filling that role. And so I think um, I think that you know, if we talk about a specific policy you know, thinking about methods of intensive case management. Mm -hmm. So um, in my center, we've developed a method of intensive case management for suicide prevention. And in early results, that method seems to be effective. And in that work, we actively work with the community. This seems to be effective in the work that we're doing now. We've seen um, significant improvements in functioning and drops in mental health symptoms and suicidal ideation in that other project. But those methods could also be used um, for um, other veterans who experience mm-hmm. a lot more social connectedness and don't have um, people in their network to coordinate their needs. We're just you know, very grateful for the support uh, to be able to do uh, this work. And I think that there are a lot of interesting findings that will be coming out of this project, and we're continuing to analyze um, the data. Um, as well.
0: So we'll keep our eyes peeled and we're looking forward to seeing more of what comes out of this study. And um, while I hope we can use it for general purposes and suicide prevention going forward, I certainly hope you don't ever have to repeat it for um, the extraordinary circumstances of a pandemic. <laughs> so. I know, yes. Thank you so much for your time, Brian. This has been great. And um, thanks again for joining us for an Investigator Insights. Thank you so much, Maria. The views and opinions expressed in the preceding podcast are concerned with the scope of recently concluded or ongoing VA hsr and funded research and do not necessarily reflect current or to-be-implemented VA policy. To learn more about this research, visit the VA hsr website at www.hsrd.research.va.gov.